if you would, and let's just begin to see what the Lord would like to teach us this morning as we contrast this Pharisee who appeared to be very righteous and yet had the leprosy of pride, and then here is a prostitute who as we come through this passage, I think it becomes very apparent, is very precious in the sight of the Lord Jesus Christ. And look at lesson number one. The Pharisee was willing to interrupt his schedule to have Jesus in his presence. And you know what? That was wonderful. I mean, it was a great thing that the guy did. I mean, you know, you look through the New Testament, there were not many people that invited Jesus to come over to the house, you know? And yet, here's a guy that at least thought enough of Jesus to invite him to come into his presence. But this woman that we see in Luke chapter 7 has a whole different perspective on it. The woman was willing for the presence of Jesus to interrupt her life. You know what? Each week what happens in this place is we, as a, as a church family, come together. And one of the reasons that, that I've heard that most people come to this church, the reason I've stayed for 18 years myself, is because, you know what, when we meet together, I personally feel like we come into the presence of Jesus. We worship God in this place, and, and week after week, the Word of God is opened, and the Spirit of God, does He mess with you when you're in here? Man, he does me. I, I get convicted, man, and it's apparent. We're in the presence of Jesus. And I'm just a little concerned, though, that maybe, like the Pharisee, we're willing for this hour or two or three on Sunday night, Sunday morning, Sunday night. We're willing to interrupt our schedule to come into the presence of Jesus, and we're all about that. Wouldn't miss it. This is awesome. And we walk out that door, and, and none of us consciously think this. None of us con consciously turn the dial in our head, but what we do is we, we've been in the presence of Jesus. We walk out that door to go back to get into real life. Now, what happens when we are in the presence of Jesus in this room, we like, because it does kind of help us in the next 168 hours not to lose our way. And so we're very willing to interrupt our schedule to come into the presence of Jesus. But I just wonder, are we really willing, as we've been talking about, for the presence of Jesus to interrupt what is going to happen in the next 168 hours when we walk outside of this room. Let me ask you this way. If the presence of Jesus is in this place week after week like we at least testify that it is, who are we more like in this story? The Pharisee who just kind of goes through the... Motions of all the deal? Yeah, why don't you just sit here and yeah, serve him up, why don't you? Mary comes into that room, y'all. And this is not about a meal. 
You understand that? This wasn't about an evening out. This wasn't about a little service. To Mary, to be in the presence of Jesus captivated her very being. There was something that was going on in this woman that said, if he is there, I want to be in his presence because more than anything in this entire world, what I want is I want his presence in me. And some of us, and I don't want to diss the fact that anybody is here. There's nobody more thrilled this morning that you're here than me. Well, Jesus. But I'm just telling you, I'm thrilled that all of us are here, and I don't want to belittle the fact that any of us are here, but we've got to be real careful, y'all, that we're not like the Pharisee, and that what this thing isn't all about today is we are coming today to celebrate a supper with Jesus. And we're going to have, like we've had for the last 18 years, we're going to have our moment presence of Jesus. And we'll have our little meal. And we'll walk out the door. And begin life as usual once again. And what I want you to see today is if the presence of Jesus is really in this place and in communion, that's what we say. This thing, that's why it's so dramatic. That's why he says, examine your heart. That's why he says, listen, don't come to this meal unworthily. Because you, you might just drop over dead. Because you see, he intends for us to be in his presence. And he says that what we're actually going to do today is commune with his body and with his blood in this. And if we're really going to do that, I'm just, I'm just... I'm just asking you, how nonchalant could we approach that? Do we just, this morning, just kind of go through the business as usual, hand me that, yeah, okay, you sit here. Mary comes into that room, man, and there's never going to be another moment like this moment. Because she doesn't know. This may be the last opportunity she ever has to pour out her praise on him. Have you ever thought about that? What if this service was the last service that you'd ever be able to express your heart in praise in that human body that you live in? What if it was the last one? How would you worship him in this service today if this was more than a meal? If it was more than a service? So I want you to ask yourself this. What do I really want in this service today? Do I want Jesus in my presence? Or do I want Jesus' presence in me? Really? What do you, what do you want? I mean, are you wanting a nice service today? Where we feel like, ooh, it was pretty holy in there today. You see, that's what... Isn't that what we have loved about our communion service? Is there is this holy reverence because we're in the presence of Jesus. Wonderful. I'm not asking you. Do you want to come into the presence of Jesus today? I'm asking you. Do you want to leave this service today 
with the manifest presence of Jesus in you. And then secondly, do I want to have Him or do I want Him to have me? And then lesson number two. And you know what? To be quite honest with you, let's just, let's just say, okay, everybody that's in, in this room just heard what we just talked about. We've seen the example of pharisaical worship, which is basically whatever. Just going to go through the motions. And we see the worship of a woman that Jesus said, this woman has done what was supposed to be done in this room. This one's acceptable. That one is not. This one is true. That one is false. This one is full of humility. And that one is full of pride. And I detest it. So let's just say we all heard that this morning. And we're all going to come at this thing. And in this service today, we're really going to give him what he deserves, just like this woman did. What would that look like? You know what? And it, this is, it kind of scares me, to be quite honest with you, because as I thought about that this week, what would it really look like if we so believed that we were in the presence of Jesus, and we really were, and we really poured out our praise like this woman as she opened her box of treasure to pour it out on him. And, and in this room today, that's what we did from our hearts. We opened the treasure of our hearts to praise him. What would that look like in a, an American culture? What would it look like in fundamental Baptist culture? What would it look like in First Baptist Church New Philadelphia culture? And all the people that really opened their heart to praise God with all that was within them did? How would we be looking at those people? What is their problem? Lesson number two. The Pharisee wanted Jesus in his presence, but was seeking to save face. The woman wanted the presence of Jesus in her and was seeking his face. And this is, this is one of the key places that this thing breaks down for us, isn't it? I mean, we could go on and on and on about how nice it was for this guy to want Jesus in his presence. We could go on and on and on about how thoughtful that was, how respectable, how hospitable. We could go on and on about all of that thing. But by everything that actually happened in that room, or maybe we could better say it, everything that didn't happen in that room, it's apparent that all the guy wanted was Jesus in his presence for that moment. But he was wanting to hold on to a few things. Because, you see, as a Pharisee, 
We certainly couldn't allow ourselves to be humiliated like this dog at his feet. Because you see, as a Pharisee, we have a reputation to uphold. And what would people think about me? They would think that I was some sort of sinner if I was bubbling around and burbling around like like this, this dog that's at his feet. You see, a Pharisee has a has a reputation that he needs to protect. And because he's a man, he's got his, his, his dignity and his re- respectability. And you see, it's not, you know, it's not real macho to weep. It's not real macho to bow. It's certainly not real macho to fall on your face before someone else because, you know what, that's, that's pretty humiliating. Whereas this woman, she comes into this room and she is there for one reason. Listen, she's not in that room to protect anything. She's not in that room to uphold anything. She's not there to cover anything. She is there for one reason and one reason only. She is there to seek His face, not His hand. She's not there to get any blessing from Him. All she wants to do is seek His face. If there's something that she wants, it's not some temporal, momentary blessing. She wants something to grab a hold of her life that will forever stay with her. And so seeking His face, she comes to His feet in humility. Not His neck. His feet. And I just want to say to you guys, if we're ever going to really understand the fullness of what God intended life in Christ to be. And we will live our lives in the fullness of His glory in His manifest presence. We're going to have to follow this dog to Jesus' feet. And protect nothing. Cover Nothing. But boy, I'm just telling you, in this culture, that's, that's, that's some pretty tough stuff because we've all got this reputation. And we want everyone to think a certain way about us. And, you know, one thing that we don't want is we don't want anybody to think that we're fanatical. And probably even more than that, we don't want to think that we're a lunatic, that, you know, we're just weird. Do you see how they act in church? I mean, (laughs) you know what I'm afraid of? I'm afraid of anybody really responded to Jesus the way that this woman did in this service. We'd all go, 
whatever. Pharisee wanted Jesus in his presence, but was seeking to save face. And you know what? You'll never have the presence of Jesus in you as long as you're seeking to save face. Some of us are so proud that our our life has become a sham. What we present to people is not who we, we really are. And to save face, we don't get it right because everyone would then know what's been going on for the last however many years. Some of us have got a situation with another believer somewhere in this room or somewhere on this planet that they did me wrong. And you can hold on to that. You're going you're gonna to make sure that you don't humble yourself and take ownership of the wrong in that thing. And as long as we're seeking to save face, we can never really know the fullness of what God intended. And I want to ask you to ask yourself honestly this morning, what am I seeking to hold on to? While I'm telling Jesus I want His presence in me. Do I want as much of the presence of Jesus in me as I can have? Or do I want as much of the presence of Jesus in me as I can have and not lose my identity in the whole thing? I, 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 hey, listen, man, I, I don't want to, I don't want to be a jerk about all of this. Okay, well, do understand whatever it is that you're holding on to is going to be the thing that's going to keep you from ever really experiencing the fullness of what life in Christ is all about. Lesson number three. Jesus heard what the Pharisee was saying in his heart. Did you see that? Look in verse 39. Now, now when the Pharisee which had bidden him saw it, he, he saw the woman's demonstration of her worship. When he saw it, watch this now, he spake within himself. Okay, this, He didn't say this out loud. He said it in his heart. This man, if he were a prophet, would have known who and what manner of woman this is that toucheth him, for she is a sinner. And you know what? Jesus heard it because what he does is, based on what he heard the man say in his heart, he reacted to what he said. And you know what's cool? Jesus also heard what this woman was saying in her heart. Now now listen, y'all. Here is one of the, the most incredible examples of true worship in the entire Bible. And, oh, listen, what a model she provides for us. And I want you to see the incredible words that flowed out of her mouth in worship of the Lord Jesus Christ. Look in verse 37 and 38 where it explains her her worship. And I want you to read it yourself right now. I want you to look at the words that she spoke to Jesus as she worshipped Him in spirit and in truth. Do you see the words there? What what did she say to Jesus, y'all? You know what? She comes through this whole deal 
and she never opens her mouth. She never says one word. And yet, what we have here is the probably the greatest example of true worship in the Bible, and it is expressed without a word, showing once again that with God, the issue is always the heart. The heart of the issue, as it's been laboriously said, is the issue of the heart. And it's always that way with Jesus. But listen, Jesus heard her loud and clear. I'm asking, what was this woman saying to him? What did Jesus hear as he listened to her heart, as he saw it demonstrated through her behavior? I'm sure what he heard is, I am a sinner. And I have no word of excuse, no justification, no rationalization. I'm a sinner. And I stand in such awe of you. You are worthy of all that I have. You are worthy of all that I am. Like the, the, the ointment in my box, I pour out myself before you. Nothing is more important to me than you. No person on this planet is more important to me than you. All of my affection, all of my adoration, all of my love, I pour it out to you. And I'm asking you this morning, when was the last time, y'all, that Jesus heard that from your heart? I'm not asking you from your lips. But when he, he just flushed the words, which is most of the time what needs to happen to him. Because as we saw last week in Ezekiel 33, we have this uncanny ability to draw very close to him with our mouth, and yet our heart is far from him. I'm asking you, when was the last time? Not that you spoke those eloquent words of worship, I'm asking you, when is the last time Jesus listened to your heart and what your heart was saying to him anointed him like ointment? Look at the examination questions. What is Jesus here? When he listens to my heart, what does he hear when he listens to my heart? And think about this, y'all. Would Jesus hear my worship if it weren't expressed with words? Listen to this. As believers in Jesus Christ, every single moment of our life is a worship service. It's all about 
worship. And sometimes He even wants us to express it in words. And I'm asking you to think on that. Because for most of us, all worship is, is us thinking up flowery stuff to say that sounds like worship. But it flows from our mouth. But not from what's on the inside. If for the rest of your life you could never express your worship in words, would he ever hear your worship? Would he ever be blessed by your worship? You see, what, what the psalmist was talking about? My heart cries out for you, O oh God. Not my lips. My heart cries out. He says, it's like a heart. It's like a deer who pants for streams of water. So my soul thirsts for you, O oh God. Uh, uh, that's worship, y'all. Your soul. Finding its release and being poured out for God and thirsting for God. Not just flowery mumbo-jumbo that we, because we have a creative tongue, are able to say. Lesson number four. And before we actually look at the lesson, would you look look at the passage here? Jesus goes into the story here as he is talking to Simon, this this Pharisee. He goes into this little parable, this little story about two two debtors, and in the story, as as you'll recall, what he talks about is that one of the the, the people was well, they both were debtors. One owed the creditor 500 pence and the other owed 50 pence. And so humanly, what we would say is that the one was 10 times the debtor as the Pharisee, or, or, or as the other. And of course, the 500 pence debtor is representative of the woman. The 50 pence debtor is representative of, of the Pharisee. So we could say that this woman is ten times the sinner that this Pharisee was. But that's not the way that God looks at it, and that's evident by what Jesus says in this passage. You see, now listen, in God's eyes, according to 1 John chapter 5, verse 17, all unrighteousness is sin. And when God describes sinful man for us, what he does not do is he does not do it categorically. He does not say, now this is the way that it breaks out when in, on this sin issue, y'all. You got your, you got your bad sinners over here. And you got your good sinners over here. You got your people who have incurred a 500 pence debt in terms of their sin. And you got your people over here who have incurred not quite as much, in fact, some of them ten times less. They're just your, your, your 50 pence sinners. That's not the way that it breaks out with Jesus. 
Look at the lesson now. The woman was ten times the sinner the Pharisee was. But our sinfulness is not determined by the amount of the sin debt we incurred. But by the amount we had to pay on the debt. Do you get that? Our sinfulness is not determined by the amount of the sin debt we incurred, but by the amount we had to pay on the debt. And you know what the... Verse 42, look at it. You know what it says that the 500 pence sinner had to pay on the debt? What? Nothing. And you know what the 50 pence sinner had to pay on the debt? Y'all say it. So which one was the biggest sinner? Yes. Because as God looks at it, the way that He views it is not how much sin did you accumulate. The way that He determines sinfulness is what did you have to pay on the debt of your sin? And we're going to figure out who the sinful ones are based on what you had to pay. What did you have to pay, y'all? I don't care who you were before you came to Christ. You could have been a street-walking, sleazy prostitute or whoremonger that had accumulated a 500-pence debt of sin, or you could have been a little cookie-snatching white lion kid who got saved at the age of seven before you ever really did any of the bad stuff. And you know how God determines our sinfulness? Not on the list of junk you did, but what you had to bring to the table that could pay for the debt of your sin. So you see, when it comes to this whole thing about our sin, we get this distorted view. And you see, the Pharisee could look back over his shoulder. And he looks at his debt and says, boy, I'll tell you what, I'm... I'm not doing too awful bad on this thing. Whereas this woman understands. I don't think there's anybody that could have done it any worse than I could. Some of our Pharisaical problem, y'all, is we don't understand our sinfulness. Which leads us into number five. Look at verse 40. And Jesus answering said unto Simon, okay, he's going he's to work him on this, on this little parable, okay? I have somewhat to say unto thee. And he saith, Master, say on. Now, before I get into this, could I just put this little aside in here? Do you see this guy? He's, he's so proud. He's watching this whole thing come down. He's watching Mary go through all of this stuff. He's thinking, boy, if this guy was who he was all cracked up to be, he'd know what kind of woman this was, and he'd put a halt to this right now. And so Jesus is about to rock the guy's world. He's about to say, you know what? You think she's a slime ball, and you're... Pride makes you every bit as much a slime ball as her. 
Now that's the Mark Trotter paraphrase. <laughs> but if you miss that message in here, you've missed the message. Because that's what he's trying to communicate to this guy. But check out the attitude. Jesus is about to say, You think you got it so stinking together. Let me tell you a little story. And here he is. Bring it on. Go ahead. Say on. I'm just asking you now. And I, I know I'm being a jerk today. Are you waiting for me to get on to something that's going to apply to you somewhere in this service right now? Is your attitude right now going, say on, Jesus. Yeah, this is pretty cool. I'm glad he's scathing all those sleaze balls that need to hear this. Bring it on. What, what you got? There was a certain creditor which had two debtors. The one owed 500 pence and the other 50. And when they had nothing to pay, frankly, forgave them both. Tell me, therefore, which of them will love him most? Okay, now he's going to make the application of this story. The whole reason he told the story is so that he could say what he says in verse 47. Wherefore I say unto thee, her sins, this 500 pence sinner, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much, but to whom little is forgiven, the same loveth little. And here's the lesson I want you to see. The Pharisee's blindness to his own sinfulness diminished his capacity to love Jesus. The woman's overwhelming awareness of her sinfulness enlarged her capacity to love Jesus. You know what needs to happen in this service today? We need to have our eyes open to our own sinfulness because when your eyes get open to your sinfulness, something's going to happen to your heart today. It's going to be enlarged and all of a sudden in a brand new way you'll begin to understand what loving Him is really all about. Note, how you view your own sinfulness affects your ability to love Jesus. How you view your own sinfulness affects your ability to love Jesus. Now, now we just talked about the fact that we really don't understand our sinfulness. We don't understand that whole thing that I just talked about with the, the nothing to pay thing. You know what that, that nothing to pay deal on the debt is something that we probably ought to meditate on for the next several months around here and come to the point to where we understand that was my condition. When God viewed me as a sinner, He didn't view me as some little chump sinner that didn't really do a whole bunch. The way that God categorizes it is, for all have sinned. Not, we got your good ones, we got your bad ones. And He says, and have come short of the glory of God. You know what? There's a big heap of people that have existed in human history that all come under the same category. They came short of the glory of God and every single one of us were a sinner before a holy God. Couldn't do anything about it. But your understanding of your sinfulness has everything in the world to do with you really loving Jesus. Let me, let me say it to you this way. In, in Genesis chapter 3, Man sins, okay? God comes down into the garden, 
And he says, okay, now, here's the way this is going to shake down because of sin. And he says to the woman, here's what's going to befall you, man. Here's what's going to befall you. And he says to the serpent, now, what's going to happen here is I'm going to put enmity between your seed and the seed of the woman. And what's going to ultimately happen is the one that's going to come forth from the seed of the woman, you'll bruise his heel. But in that whole process, he'll bruise your head. We've talked about this numerous times. The virgin birth is prophesied there, the seed of the woman. The bruising of the heel of Christ is the crucifixion. The bruising of the head is the second coming of Christ. When he comes back and stomps his head, he's cast into the bottomless pit. All spelled out for you right there in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15. Okay, what I want you to see here. Now listen, the bruising of the heel that was prophesied in Genesis 3.15, finds its fulfillment in the crucifixion. Okay, you tracking with me? The bruising of the heel prophesied in Genesis 3.15 because of man's sin was prophesied and fulfilled in the crucifixion. And so if you want to understand what sin is really all about, then what you need to do is make a little jet tour out of Genesis 3.15 where man sinned and the consequences for that meant that Jesus Christ was going to have to be crucified on that cross and let's catapult forward in time and let's begin to watch what's taking place. And again, I, I don't want to get to where we're dramatizing the whole deal, but if you could just put yourself in that room for just a second. As they brought the Lord Jesus Christ into that room and they have begun to take that whip and they whip his back and they go through all of that whole deal so that his back becomes just absolutely exposed, raw hamburger. And they put that purple robe on him and they jam the crown of thorns on his face and they are coming by one by one, just pow, 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 just then they blindfold him and they continue the process and they're saying, Hey, if you know so much and you're so wonderful, if you're God, who hit you? And they're laughing. They take him out and they take his hands and they nail those, 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 those nails into him and into his feet and they suspend him up on that cross. You know what this is all about, y'all? A guy way back here 4,000 years previous was walking through a garden and ate the wrong piece of fruit. Everything that I just described was because a guy one day ate the wrong piece of fruit. The whole bruising of the heel was over that little sin. Now do you understand? All unrighteousness is sin. And you know what the biggest problem some of us have? You know what the biggest problem a lot of junior high and high school age young people have? You grew up in this church. And so the worst thing that you ever did is you took a cookie out of the cookie jar. And we've got people in this room that were prostitutes and were homosexuals. And, and we go on and on and on through the list. And we look at them and we think, those are the real sinners. 
I never, I really don't have much of a testimony myself because, you know, I never really did that much wrong. Do you understand? Your one sin is what caused Jesus Christ to go through everything that he went through on the cross. It was because of your sin. And when you understand the depth of your sin, all of a sudden something happens to you. You're overwhelmed because of his willingness to forgive you. But as long as you see yourself as a 50-pence sinner, you'll love little. And, and I've seen this through the years. You take some people who get saved out of the world system where the world system had just chewed them up and spit them out, and they come in and they get saved. You ever see what happens to those folks? They grow past us like we're standing still. You know why? They understand the depth of their sin. And there is nothing that they're not willing to pour out before Him because of His willingness to forgive them. Understand. You understanding the depth of your sin is going to enlarge your capacity to be able to love the Lord Jesus Christ. The question for examination, do I fully comprehend the significance of my own sin? When I view the price Jesus paid for sin in His crucifixion, do I really understand? And then, number six. <clears throat> the Pharisee was so blind to his own sin, it opened his eyes to the woman's sinfulness. The woman's eyes were so open to her own sinfulness, she was blinded to everyone else's. This woman comes into this room where the meal is, is, is taking place. And the woman, all that she knows is God is there and I am here and I am sinful and He is holy. And she comes into that room and what do you think, listen, what, what do you think that she's thinking about the sin of this Pharisee? What do you think that she's thinking right now about all of the, the, the guests that are around that are in a few minutes are going to be going, now let's see, who is this guy to be forgiving sins? What do you think she's thinking as she's walking into that room about their sin? You know what she's thinking? She's not thinking at all. She's not even working through, I know I'm a lot more sinful than them. No, she doesn't even think about them. This is not about them. This is about Jesus being here and me coming into His presence. I finally have this moment and, and I've been in my alabaster box. I've got this ointment that I have been waiting for this moment to be able to pour it out before Him as an offering of my praise. She's not thinking a thing 
about anybody else. Whereas the Pharisee is watching this whole thing come down. And what is so wild is he does not think in his heart, you know what? The way that she's worshiping him is the way that I ought to be worshiping. The way that she's worshiping him is the way everybody else in this room ought to be worshiping. He's thinking to himself, you know what? Jesus really isn't all he's cracked up to be or he'd know what's going on here. And he sees her sinfulness and doesn't see his own. And and I've just kind of watched through the years that God has allowed us to be together, y'all, that many of us are coming to the place to where we have an uncanny ability to see the sin in everybody else. And we don't see our own. And the reason we don't see our own is because we have become proud. And that sin of pride that is blinding us to our own sin is a bigger sin than the sins that we see in the lives of everybody else that we're gossiping down behind their back. And, and you know what is, what is typical? That everything that we've talked about thus far in this service... All of the people in this room that really understand the depth of their sin and are humble before the Lord are more humble before the Lord and are examining their heart to the fullest degree right now and are just, Oh God, help me to love you in the fullness of love. While all of the proud people are still waiting for something to affect them today. And we'll go out of this service today probably thinking, whatever. And really think that they're the ones that got it under control. Say on. When are we going to allow God to shake us out of the pride that allows us to see everybody else's sin, man. Now listen, I'm not talking about us getting to the point to where we will not lovingly confront a brother or sister that's overtaken in a fault. The Scripture tells us to do that. But I will just say this. Some of us have gotten so good at seeing those faults. And it's apparent that we really don't have the heart that God has for it or we would come alongside of them and seek to restore them rather than telling everybody about their sin. It is so weird, y'all. We can get to the point to where we have so cleaned up the outside of our cup that we think this is what is real about us. When we really know in our heart of hearts there's all this yuck that's still going on 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 the, the inside of us, but somehow we allow ourselves to be blinded by all of that and we see everybody else's sin and are very quick to be able to fix it and everybody else and say this is what they... In 1 Corinthians 8, it says, now listen, when you get to the point, when you think that you've got it under control and you know what you need to know, what he says in 1 Corinthians 8 is you've come to the place to where you do know something. You know nothing. He says, but listen, when you love God, next verse, the same is known of you. 
And some of us are so quick to see the sin in everybody else. But it's real difficult to see the love that exudes from your life because of your desire to go help those people through that sin. Number seven. Well, let's, let's do the examination of number six. Has pride blinded my eyes to my own sin and opened my eyes to the sin of others? Now, number seven. The Pharisees' worship in the presence of Christ was based on his own worthiness. The woman's worship in the presence of Christ was based on Christ's worthiness. And I'm asking you today, what, what, is, what has actually happened in this, this service is the Lord Jesus Christ today has invited you to come in to His presence. And I'm asking you today, what will your worship of Him be based on today? Is it going to be based on your life, your worthiness, and you're going to look at your little life and you're going to see all the things that you got all in order? Or are you going to in this service today? Get the focus all off of you and solely on to the Lord Jesus Christ and who He is. Watch Jesus' explanation of the Pharisees' worship. He starts this in, in verse 44. It's on, on your study sheet. Let's do it this way. What, what Jesus says about this Pharisee is, listen, you invited me to come into your presence, and I came, and you didn't think enough of me to provide water to wash my feet. You see, this would have been just part and parcel of what would go on in that culture. He's, Jesus has been walking on those dusty streets of Jerusalem and in the surrounding areas. He's been walking on those dusty streets with camels and donkeys and everything else that you can imagine that gets mixed into that dust and dirt and all of that stuff. And it was very customary when you would come into a home that there would be someone that would wash that person's feet as they came in. And he says, listen... You invited me to come into your house, man, and you didn't even provide water for me to wash my feet. Number two, you weren't excited enough about receiving me into your presence to provide an affectionate greeting. I just come in and bam, we just do this thing. A lot like most churches. Number three, you weren't considerate enough of me to go out of your way to provide for my head to be anointed with oil. And again, just part of the, the, the custom of that day, that hot sun and, and all of that, it would be customary for them to provide a, a, a dressing for the, the head and the, the hair to, to be able to just refresh yourself. And he says, you weren't even considerate enough to provide for that anointing compared to the woman's demonstration of her worship. Number one, she broke open the box of her most prized treasure to release the fragrance of true worship. I mean, this is something that this woman has anticipated. She finally found out where he was going to be. She heard the news. And so she grabbed what was her most prized treasure, held in that alabaster box, that ointment that would have represented so much of her wages, and God only knows how she would have even earned that money. But she came... And she poured that, as she broke that box there at his feet. Number two, she expressed a broken 
and contrite heart through her tears used to wash his feet. She is broken before him. And the scripture says that a broken and contrite heart, God will not despise, and he didn't. And then number three, see, in, in this cult, you know, and, and now get the picture. She sees that he's there. She, she stands behind him first and she's weeping. And then she, she humbles herself and she gets down to his feet. And she is weeping to the place to where her tears are literally washing his feet. She's not just having, you know, a little tear. She is absolutely consumed with what is, what, what is taking place here. She is washing his feet with her, 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 her tears and, and, and she's seen as the, the drops are on his feet and, and seeing what is taking place there. And she's, it's, it's providing him almost like a mud on his feet. And so she wants to wipe it and she looks for something to wipe his feet. In this culture, they would have had the, like the turban up on her head. And so she takes apart that turban and she dismantles it. And she takes down her hair, which according to 1 Corinthians chapter 11 is provided for a woman because it is her glory. You know what she does, y'all? From a broken... In contrite heart, she dismantles her glory to wipe his feet. She dismantled her glory to give him glory. Number four, she overflowed in her affection and exaltation of Christ by ceaselessly kissing. His feet. She cannot find another way within her to express her heart and her passion for who He is. And as we look at what has taken place here, could I ask you from your heart to ask yourself this morning, what is the box of your most prized treasure Jesus is waiting for you to break open, to release the fragrance of your true worship. I'm asking you today, you've got to know that. What is it that is the most important thing in your life? That's what this woman comes and pours out before him. The most important treasure of her life. What is it that Jesus is waiting so that he knows that he has all of you that you are separated from this world system, that you no longer love yourself because you have offered to Him your most prized treasure. And look at the note. We're waiting for Jesus to break open our box and ask for our treasure so we can determine if we're willing. And you know, that's the way that we would like to do this thing. We're waiting around and going, okay, God, all that I have is yours, I think. So as soon as you ask me for my most prized treasure, it's going to be that moment of truth. I'm going to really find out then if I'm really serious about going into your presence. And while we're waiting for Jesus to ask, 
so that we can determine if we're willing. Jesus is waiting for our willingness to break open the box of our treasure to demonstrate our worship. Do you understand that? We're waiting for Him to ask. He's waiting for us to offer. And I'm asking you today, what is that most prized treasure that you're clinging on to, that you're afraid to offer to the Lord Jesus Christ? Could I ask you this? When was the last time it cost you something to worship Jesus? Next, has my heart become calloused and cold? Unable to be broken into tears to wash Jesus' feet? And I'm not asking anybody today to work up any emotional bath. I'm not asking anybody to go through anything like that. I'm just asking you. When was the last time you were so overwhelmed by the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ that the tears flowed from your eyes because of a broken and a contrite heart? Pharisees are very calloused very cold. No reason for me to shed any tears. Got it all going on. That's what I'm afraid of. Have I become so consumed with my own ego and self-glory that I'm unwilling to dismantle it for His glory? Oh man, we're just... That pride thing... There's just so much of us that we don't want to let go of. And we've got to understand that the death of bringing glory to self is really the birth of bringing glory to Jesus. And we'll never really bring glory to Jesus as long as we're wanting to bring glory to ourself. And then next, is my affection and exaltation of Christ apparent by my humility toward Him? In other words, kissing His feet getting down as low as we can possibly go before Him. Because we are so affectionate toward Him, so desirous to exalt Him, that we're not seeking to make a statement to anybody else of who we are. We're wanting to express to Him how humble we are because of how we exalt Him. And the point that I feel like God is trying to get us to see through all of this this morning is in your conclusion. Today, through communion, the Lord Jesus Christ invites you to come into His presence. And the real issue is today, through communion, will you invite the presence of Christ to come in you? So that from a heart of love, you leave a, a, a changed person. W would you just listen, y'all? Try to just settle for just a sec. What would it take this morning for you to be a box-breaking, oil-pouring, tear-washing, glory-sacrificing, foot-kissing, Face-seeking, 
believer. And oh God, we want to ask you that you would turn our hearts, that we would see all of our Christian life from a different perspective. Ah. So much in this passage and ah, so much that I wanted to be able to communicate and and yet, Lord, I know that this is not all about my ability to communicate to these people, but, but You just taking these things to our hearts and allowing us to see from a, a different perspective who we are and seeing our sin and seeing how much we've been forgiven seeing how glorious You actually are. 